Okay, let's get this shindig on the road, shall we? You know me, I'm sensitive to criticism. When I had somebody criticize me, it's kind of a waste of time to spend four minutes doing nothing on the front end of that, of your podcast, don't you think? <laughs> My live session. So here I am. I'm only going to give it a couple of minutes. We're about one minute out anyway. So welcome, everybody. Good to see you all. All right, Joe, welcome. Doug Vincent, what's up, my brother? Mark Crespin, yeah, baby. Yeah, baby. That's the backyard professor stuff, right? JB, baby. Good evening from New York City. Welcome. And Country Western, welcome. Welcome to the live session, Peter Higgs. Very good. And Dart, Dart, Dirt, Dart. Howdy, howdy. Okay, so looks like uh, there's several of us showing up already. I've got, uh, I've had a great week. Very interesting week. Hope you guys have had a good week. Um, Paul Osborne, oh good, because I'm going to be talking about your Delmarva theory tonight. Yeah, baby. Good on you. Patty Cake. Yes, here comes the fun. Yeah, yeah. This uh, Allison. Good to see you. Okay. I I do sound a little better, don't I? Yeah, I, I still look like heck, but I sound good. <laughs> I, I'm somewhat recovering. If I drink a lot of water tonight, don't yell at me, but I'm I'm still uh, I'm I'm doing better. So thank you for your concerns and prayers and care. And none of you sent me a million bucks to fight COVID, darn it. I was hoping y'all would, but you didn't. <laughs> no worries. I hold no grudges. <laughs> okay. Uh, let's, I had a really interesting situation happen to me this last week that I am. Ex oh, John Rosbarski. Good to see you. Yes, I am. Allison. Good. To, thank you. Oh, Alice. Oh my gosh, I've been calling you Allison. I apologize. It is Elisa. Sorry. I've got another Allison in the... I can't hardly see through these stupid glasses. Fine business operator. Good to see you again. Haven't seen you for a while. We got to talk again soon. Don't call me during the show like RFM does, though. <laughs> you probably interrupt my trend of what little thought I have. Hey, the good news is COVID didn't affect my brain. My brain. My brain. Oh, uh, maybe it did. So I'm probably going to be okay that way. So this week in the news, I wanted to share this with you. You guys are honest to goodness, probably already all aware of this. If you're not, I have some very interesting news for you. Apparently, an actual picture of Joseph Smith has been discovered now. There he is. Uh, it was found from one of his ancestors. So there is an actual, people kept saying, we think there is a photo of him out there. The suspicion is he might be right there. So there is the prophet Joseph Smith. So now we know what he looked like. We can see how romanticized all the paintings were, kind of like they are with the, oh, my hair is horrible, kind of like they are with the Nephi's big 20-inch biceps when we know he probably didn't have 20-inch uh, biceps. But, you know, we've got to ad-lib and pretend. So, 
Okay, this week I received an email, and it is an interesting email because apparently a couple of weeks ago, this gentleman tried to send me an email, and I wasn't paying attention, and I do plead guilty. Uh, and so I'd like to read this email to you because this is going to be part of my topic tonight. I am going to take this gentleman's challenge up. Uh First off, let me read his first one. His first one was sent Tuesday, July 5th. So I apologize. Uh, I just, I did not see this. And so that's the way it is. To Carrie Schertz, Backyard Professor, having watched your YouTube podcast on Book of Mormon Geography, or lack thereof, and then he gives the address here, I wish to share with you an answer to your desire for evidence of even just one thing that relates directly with the history of the Book of Mormon. Awesome. This sounds like Bill Hamblin and Philip Jenkins. Bill Hamblin wanted to do that as well, so this will be good. I refer to the book, The North American Model for the Book of Mormon, from Jerusalem to Camorra. It has 128 pages of real geography details, including... 66 maps. Sounds like an interesting book, doesn't it? That includes the front cover, which illustrates an archaeological site totally researched and documented by the National Park Service, the U.S. Department of the Interior, without any reference to the Book of Mormon as a resource, while hitting the target with a bullseye in terms of timing, dating, location, function, etc. In fact, they might have come to an alternate conclusion if they had any idea on how accurate their conclusions are for the details of the Book of Mormon event. So, and he talks about the historic Indian trails and, and byways, uh, and then he goes on to discuss a couple of other things. He said, I am pleased to direct you to a certain website, HTTPS, colon, forward slash, forward slash, North America Model, all one word, North America Model, dot com, forward slash. So check his website out. That could be interesting. And then he has a YouTube video, and I will be sharing clips of his YouTube video with you tonight. And, uh, and so William Peter Midgley, thank you for your email. I do appreciate that. And then he sent me one uh, a couple of days ago, and I, I, that was his first one, and I honestly didn't see it, or I would have responded to it. He said, I just watched your podcast, 28. You continue to claim there is no, none, zip, zero, nada evidence of the Book of Mormon event. I'm certainly glad he got that point right, <laughs> because that is what I claim. <laughs> so he is sharp. He's paying attention. Thank you. Thank you. I appreciate that that has any credibility in terms of source material that is not LDS created. That's not what I'm asking for, but yeah, you're kind of getting it. You must be lying or you have not checked out the evidence that I shared with you below. Ouch! I wasn't lying. I was, I was saying so in ignorance of your materials. So he says, in the interest of fairness, I will assume that you have just not checked out the book, and I haven't. That's true. So thank you for your fair, thank you for your fair play. I do appreciate that. Otherwise, if you had, if you, if you had checked out my book, you would not have been so forceful in your assertion of the non-existence of such information. Uh, he's wrong there, but I'll show you why tonight. 
I will assume in the future you will tell your audience that you have received information that does address Book of Mormon historicity that agrees with you that Mesoamerica could not be the location of the Book of Mormon events, and that's true. And I am telling you, my audience, that he's right there. His particular model is here in North America, so it does disagree with the Mesoamerica and its total lack of evidence for the Book of Mormon. So, wonderful. We're on the same page here. But it includes archaeological facts that do correlate with the Book of Mormon events with time, place, and functions from Jerusalem to Cumorah, and that's where I'm going to disagree with you, my dear friend. I don't agree with that. And I'll explain why tonight. While you denigrate LDS apologists such as Daniel C. Peterson for being in the employ of the church and therefore cannot be trusted because their livelihood comes from the church, be advised that I've never been employed by the church. Okay, so he's not a BYU paid apologist, but he is a very interested, faithful Latter-day Saint who has done a boatload of work on the North American model of the geography of the Book of Mormon, and he is claiming that his model is the right one and that there is perfect correlate, well, or good correlate. I shouldn't put words in his mouth. He says there's a lot of correlations. And then he had a few people review S. Kent Brown has reviewed his materials, as has uh, Donald, Dr. Ronald W. Walker, who was quite prominent in the, uh, in the LDS scholarship. He, so he's gotten some pretty good reviews from several people. And then uh, his father, who was an incredible uh, scholar in his own way. And then he said, if I run across another one of your podcasts, I will look for you to take on the independent evidence I provided. Well, look no further because this is going to be the podcast, uh, Mr. Midgley. I don't know if you're related to Lou Midgley or not, but calling him Mr. Midgley is really kind of interesting. So William Peter Midgley, thank you for the emails. Thank you for the uh, communication and the, and the desire to get your information out open and available. This will be very interesting. Oh, hey, uh, is Dan here? Doug is. I see Doug. Someone's trying to talk to Dan. Anyway, you guys are talking. All right, good. So let's talk about Mr. Midgley's ideas on the North American continent. And he claims that he has some really good direct archaeological materials that uh, correlate, well, geographical material. Well, he mentioned archaeology too, of which he has absolutely nothing. And I will reiterate that. But his geography is fantastically interesting. I, I, I'll give him that. It, it's fun. It's creative. Yeah, Dan Vogel, welcome here. Yes. Yeah, this is the heartland model of the Book of Mormon geography. Uh, and I agree with you, Dan Vogel, and I will be expressing that today. <laughs> Dan Vogel does not agree with the heartland geography any more than I do. But So... Here is, let me reiterate for the sake of clarity, and it also establishes up front in this particular podcast, what 
we are looking for when it comes to this very interesting subject of the Book of Mormon and just where the hell did it happen? Nobody seems to know. Not even the prophets, seers, revelators, and translators. They are as ignorant as all the rest of us. So, of course, their extra special revelatory powers are worthless. They're worth spit. So, of what use are they, right? Let me reiterate this. Phil Jenkins challenged. Mormonism, of which Bill Hamblin responded and utterly failed to provide what Phil Jenkins, as an outsider, was asking for. Here is the criteria. And really, the bar is not set very high at all from any sense of the imagination. Here is what is being asked. Can anyone cite any single credible fact, object, site, or inscription from the New World that supports any one story found in the Book of Mormon? One shred of pottery? One tool of bronze or iron? one carved stone, one piece of genetic data, and by credible, I mean drawn from a reputable scholarly study, an academic book, or a refereed journal, not some cranky piece of pseudoscience. Because the millions of Book of Mormon peoples would most certainly definitively have left a massive and unadmissible archaeological trace in reality. Now, <clears throat> Mr. Midgley seems to think he has provided me with some of those types of information. So let me go to the first clip off his wonderful website, the Book of Mormon, the North American, I think it's the North American, well, anyway, let me introduce uh, Mr. Midgley to us, and then I will I will make comments very throughout as I intersperse this. Welcome. I'm William Peter Midgley, author of the North American Model for the Book of Mormon, From Jerusalem to Camorra, a geographic history from beginning to end. You may ask, how is the North American model different? It connects all Book of Mormon events to real locations with 66 internal maps that help affirm the witness of the Holy Ghost. Let me set the stage by sharing a couple of comments from past lecture attendees. Oh, yeah, and then I stopped at it there because I don't care other LDS people commenting on him doesn't phase me at all as far as any type of validity because, of course, they have a vested interest also. We're looking for... Uh, and. I have thought through this week on how to present this, but we're looking for credible sources. And I, I get it. This comes across as uh, arrogant, snooty, condescending, etc. But Mormons are known biased scholars. You can't escape that unfortunate situation. 
and so you're going to find and make anything fit that you possibly can. And uh, we're not interested in reviews from fellow Mormons who already have a belief. We're interested in actual archaeologists and linguists, etc., of people who best position of all who've never even heard of the Book of Mormon, who are finding something that verifies Nephites or Lamanites or Jaredites or Mulekites. That's what we would be looking for, right? So this is Mr. Midgley and his, uh, he, he has a one-hour lecture, and it's a good lecture. It's fun. It's very interesting, uh, sort of educational. Hey, Tim Rathbone, welcome, my friend. TM? It's not a worry. Yeah, you're good. I just barely started. And let's go to the second. Visualize Lehi sailing to the west coast of the Americas, influenced by the Arnold Freeberg painting of Lehi on the boat, appearing to sail east. That changed with the article by Rodney Meldrum on the 2009 expedition of a replica of a 600 BC Phoenician ship. The premise was that the Phoenicians sailed clockwise around Africa in 600 BC. The light land went on. That was the only reasonable way for Lehi to sail in 600 BC. In fact, the 2009 expedition came within 400 miles of the North America, following the ocean currents and generally east to west prevailing winds of that latitude. It does not answer where Lehi landed, but it is a high probability that it was somewhere along the southeast coast of the United States. And so that's one of his comments, is he's saying the oceanic journey from ancient times has been somewhat mimicked by a replica of a Phoenician ship who at least sailed all the way around Africa and back through the Mediterranean into the Suez Canal. And so that shows that Lehi could have done it too. You know, that that's the mode of thinking. And so the idea of ancient seafaring is not as negative as it once was. That I would agree with. Uh, Contiki, after all, Thor hired all. Contiki demonstrated you can do it. And so did this Phoenician ship. So, But that doesn't mean that they did it anciently, but it wouldn't surprise me if they did. So that is a potential possibility for the Book of Mormon. But again, that doesn't do anything for me. There's just not enough there to say, oh, okay, well, then I accept everything in the Book of Mormon. It must be true. Every every single detail that Joseph Smith ever described about the Book of Mormon must have happened the way he said, etc. None of that matches. None of that fits. It just doesn't work. So you're still falling short. No offense intended, Mr. Midgley, at all. Here's another comment. The world at Chillicothe on the Scioto River in South Central Ohio is synonymous with the center of the Opwell culture. In Appendix B, Old Forester is quoted again, quote, it, Chillicothe was the capital of their empire, or whatever you want to call the region in the Scioto Valley, where you'll find the greatest number of magnificent Opwellian ancient earthworks, unquote. So he's showing the basis of a civilization at Chillicothe in Ohio. It, it is the Hopewell mound builders, and in the main 
say the center, the core of the Hopewell culture is where he is placing Zarahemla. Now, other Book of Mormon geographers who are Mormon have also proposed this as well. So there you have it. But it's not whether the Book of Mormon fits your creative interpretation of geography, Mr. Midgley. The reason this still doesn't move me personally, and I'm trying hard to ask myself, why doesn't this stuff move me? I mean, am I that skeptic? Am I, am I being just biased myself? I could be to an extent. Sure, everybody has the biases. But the generality is too general. And the creativity of the geography can be more you than the real matchup. And I will explain why I say that, because yours isn't the only geography available to study of a North American or a heartland model. No one actually really knows among Mormons. And again, you're still competing with the Mesoamerican model as well. So until Mormons can get their act together and come to an agreement, the rest of us don't see the reason why we have to pay attention much or take much of it seriously. It is fun. It is interesting to see how creative some views are, etc. But we want actual evidence. We don't want guessing. We don't want possibilities. We want the real thing, and we don't have it here. And that's not to denigrade you and your wonderful efforts and the, the obvious joy B, old that you have. Quote, Chillicothe was the capital of their empire, or whatever you want to call the region in the Scioto Valley, where you'll find the greatest number of magnificent Opwellian ancient earthworks, unquote. Also from the Hopewell Culture and National Historic Park brochure, in Chillicothe, quote, discovered at this site in the late 1800s, let me repeat, in the late 1800s, a remarkable American Indian culture is believed to have stretched from the Great Lakes to the Gulf of Mexico. The tribal names of these people were lost over the millennia, but the prehistoric American Indians who built this sprawling structure were part of a golden age that flourished in this region between 200 BC and 500 AD. The monumental architecture and artifacts reflect a pinnacle of achievement in, this, in the fields of art, astronomy, mathematics, and engineering, the likes of which was seldom seen again in Eastern North America." Unquote. So again, the theme is there was a culture, the Hopewell culture, who existed in the Ohio and Missouri, and, and it, it was extensive, the Mound Builders, uh, something which our own Dan Vogel here has written about extensively, and he, he did publish a book. I've got it here somewhere. Gosh, I should have thought of at least pulling that out, but I never have. I didn't lately anyway. So the idea here is your location of Zarahemla would match the basic generic outlines taken from the Book of Mormon. You know, we know the land of Nephi is going to be south of Zarahemla, you know, generalities, general directions, etc. 
and you're locating it specifically at Chillicothe, but that doesn't establish it as a known fact which the world agrees, and that is the standard. It can't just be Mormons who say, oh, hey, there's the location that verifies the Holy Ghost to me. I don't think you guys know what the Holy Ghost is. If you think the Holy Ghost is testifying to you, the Book of Mormon's true, based on very precious little evidences and lots of guessing, you can't just grab the most likely culture and imagine, oh, yeah, yeah, that's the Nephites. This is their remains. We have to have real serious, unique, purposeful parallels from spectacular Book of Mormon events that would be nowhere else in the archaeological record. Geography doesn't establish that. And I'm not trying to make this uh, a pessimistic negative review because you've obviously done a boatload of work on this. I just don't find the there there yet. Now, it could show up. I'm open to that potentiality. But it hasn't yet so far as I can tell. And I have no reason to say, well, have faith and it will. No, I have no reason to have faith. It just didn't happen until the evidence gets good enough to say, oh, it did happen. Yeah. The ancient Israelites are in Canaan. Oh, okay. Well, I don't believe it. Then when the archaeology shows me that, I can adjust to say, oh, well, actually, the Israelites are the ancient Canaanites, and that's been pretty well demonstrated and confirmed through the archaeological materials. So we know, you know, when they went to Kadesh Barnea and when they went down into Israel's land, we know when they went north up into the land of Benjamin, etc., uh, because of the archaeology. We don't have anything like that here in, in America. Increasingly clear that the Book of Mormon and the United States of America as the land of liberty is intertwined not just as a spiritual promise, but also geophysically, where the pathways and trails created and used by the ancient inhabitants were the same roads and trails used in the creation of the United States of America and in preserving it. While the North American model relies heavily on the written word for geography, one of the common claims made by skeptics is that there is no archaeological evidence of any of the actual events in the Book of Mormon. That's my claim. Sample statements include one from the National Geographic Society. Quote, We know of no archaeological evidence that cooperates the ancient history of the Western Hemisphere as presented in the Book of Mormon. And the Society does not know of anything found so far that has substantiated the Book of Mormon, unquote. In addition, the Smithsonian Institution has issued the following, quote, the Smithsonian Institution has never used the Book of Mormon in any way as a scientific guide. Smithsonian archaeologists see no direct connection between the archaeology of the New World and the subject matter of the book. And my guess is that the National Park Service would say the same thing. If the many examples already given aren't sufficient, 
One of the iconic and memorable events in the Book of Mormon was in Mosiah 2, where Mosiah called oh, the people yeah. together. I think that's where I stopped. Yeah. So this particular situation that both the National Geographic and the Smithsonian have indicated still has not been changed by any Mormon scholars connections, such as your book. You see the issue here, Mr. Midgley, Brother Midgley? Uh, I, I'm, not, I'm not mocking you or ridiculing you in any manner. I'm just saying, if you can show your book and the connection of the geography, and they can then correlate it with actual archaeologists who know their stuff with the specific stories in the Book of Mormon or the specific peoples in the Book of Mormon, then you're making progress. But that's where it has to go. You can't just please your own fellow Mormons and imagine that, ta-da, we've got evidence. That's not how this works. We need the real evidence that shows the rest of the world. And they can agree, just like they do with uh, ancient Japanese archaeology and ancient Chinese archaeology and ancient Egyptian archaeology and Indo-European ancient uh, archaeology on the steppes, as well as ancient Israel archaeology in the Bible. That's what we need for the Book of Mormon. We don't have anything close to that. And with Alma 16 and 22, helps to describe the river Sidon. Only when a river runs from northeast to southwest, can one cross it from west to east and be in the south wilderness. The river Sidon has a head in the east with a name, Manti, and it, Sidon, flows from the east towards the west dividing the Lamanites on the south from the Nephites on the north. The river Sidon is the only river mentioned by name in the land of promise. In North America, major rivers that run northeast to southwest to a west sea are the Columbia River and the Colorado River. Neither river has a head near a sea east. What about the Ohio River and what about a sea west? In reality, the Ohio River is the extension of the lower Mississippi. The Upper Mississippi River is the actual tributary. The 1990 Water Encyclopedia states, quote, at the confluence, the Ohio is even bigger than the Mississippi, and thus is hydrologically mainstream of the whole river system, unquote. The only river system in North America that meets all of the criteria for the riverside is the Ohio Lower Mississippi River System. The land of Manti at the foot of the Appalachian Mountains near the East Sea, and only 120 miles from Camorra, is the head of Sidon. And Sidon flows from the east towards the west, emptying into the West Sea, the Gulf of Mexico. The Book of Mormon describes the Ohio-Sidon River system better than we do today. Now, see, when you describe the land of Manti up here at the headwater of the Sidon in the Book of Mormon, until you get actual archaeological evidence that that was the land of Manti, this is your understanding, Mr. Midgley. Do you, do you grasp 
the difference between that and if an actual archaeologist discovered some archaeological evidence that showed that that area was called anciently the land of Manti by those Hopewell people, how that would change. But you simply saying, well, this is how it works. That's the land of Manti. This is the land of Zarahemla, etc. That doesn't carry weight. And no offense intended, but it just doesn't. We need an outside expertise for that. And for that, we need objective archaeological evidence. This is geographical creativity, which I appreciate because your video was very enjoyable to watch. And I have looked at your website. And yes, I would like a copy of your book. I truly would. I think it would be wonderful. I plan on going and visiting the Hopewell Mounds, that serpent mound and some of those mound builders. I guess there's mounds now just outside of Nauvoo on the other side of the river. And there's all kinds of fun stuff. But this doesn't mean I'm going to feel like I'm traipsing through Nephite lands because I'm not going to feel that way at all. I started calling Dr. Oh, here, here we go. Hold on. <laughs> now I'm going to give you some context. Now, and I understand you're probably one of the Heartland scholars. Uh, this is Wayne May. Now, here's the interesting thing. Here's This is kind of an illustration to help you grasp and understand what I mean when I say you Mormons need to put two and two together and you need to quit pretending like you're the only ones who have the answers and all of the other Mormons with different views have the wrong answers and you're right because as long as there is internecine war between the factions within Mormonism concerning the Book of Mormon geography, none of the rest of us are going to take it serious. Not even in the least. If you can get outside corroborative archaeological or else linguistical help, and I mean better than what Brian Stubbs produces in Mesoamerica, which I am going to show you one or two of the advantages of the heartland model above the Mesoamerican, at least you actually may have potential archaeological information. That could be helpful. And that's kind of fun, you know, because the Mesoamerican approach, the scholars who propose the Mesoamerican model are just too arrogant. And you would agree with me there. Well, I knew that a long time ago. But here's some here, here is a very interesting corroboration of that type of arrogance. And this is from Wayne May. Oh. And his experience with John Sorensen. And I thought this is worth, this is worth sharing. It truly is. Sorensen. BYU, and I, I wanted to ask them to bring a guy to the Midwest. Let me show him what's out here. That's all I want to do. And at this Two Hill Kamar thing, it was really, really, I mean, it was really bugging me. As I continued to look at this and, and say, my gosh, why can't we discuss North America 
uh, don't you go to college? Isn't a college supposed to be open? And you look at idea A and idea B and idea C without having a feud or a fight or people getting upset with you, but they have a set thing, just like blinders on a horse, and they bring up something new, and oftentimes you'll get ridiculed. And I was concerned because I had so much problem with trying to approach the anthropology department at Y, trying to get somebody to come out and visit. And uh, I just got totally shut down. They, they didn't want to give me time of day. <laughs> See, this is the type of thing that tells the rest of us that nothing you guys have is worth much yet anymore. Because if you really had the real McCoy, the actual archaeologists would be coming together with you on this. And the Mesoamerican Mormon scholars would then jump on the bandwagon because that's where the evidence would demand going. You don't have anything close to that. Now, you've done a lot of work. I, I can't argue with you. Thomas Stewart Ferguson did too, and he found nothing, so don't feel too bad. But that's why it's just not convincing to me personally. It's hit and miss. And yet, as I say that, Indian mounds near Newark, Ohio. this is fun. was a surveyor, and he also happened to love Indian mounds. And, of course, where he lived around that area of uh, Newark, Ohio, uh, with all the earthworks being there, everybody was digging on the earthworks. Even even on a Sunday afternoon, people take a fa uh, family picnic, go to the earthworks, sit down, take a shovel, and just start digging a hole. You know, what are you, you know, they're looking for whatever they can find. But Weirich took it serious. He picked a burial mound that was outside of the actual Newark earthworks. He did a first dig there, and he found what we call the keystone. Weirich continued digging in the mounds, and he picked one about 12 miles south of Newark. It's called, they called it at that time the Great Stack. At the bottom of the stack, they find, number two accounts, 12 mounds, I've heard 13 mounds, in a circle, smaller mounds, around a single mound that was bigger. Wyrick went for the big one in the center. He digs it out, he gets down to the bottom, he finds an oak sarcophagus. They take the oak lid off, skeleton of a man laying right there, and it was on a, some kind of a platform. They recognized the platform. So they thought, well, maybe there's something below the platform. And going below the platform, that's when they found a stone box. And in that came out the Decalogue stone. The controversy lies in the text on the stones, both written in a block Hebrew writing. One stone, known as the Decalogue stone, has a figure in the middle with the Ten Commandments written all around the stone on the stone has this depiction of a man in a long flowing robe and over his head is written in perfectly legible hebrew the word moshe which is moses of course they didn't know what they had they couldn't read it and they got some jewish people involved a rabbi as i understand it and the rabbi said i can read this and when they began the translation of the stone it came out to be an entire and complete rendition of the Ten Commandments. The second stone, known as the Keystone, has writing on all sides of the stone. Translated, it reads, Holy of Holies, King of the Earth, the Law of God, and the Word of God. They look at it, and now the, and then the guys, they, they bring up the idea, say, well, we can read it, 
it's correct in what it says, but we've never seen letters written in this fashion. So, as interesting as that is, Mr. Midgley, let me say a couple of items. You at least have something up on the Uto-Aztecan Hebrew connections, which is basically desperado. If these archaeological discoveries are actually valid, you seem to have genuine Hebrew inscriptions. That's a lot more than the Mesoamerican archaeologists have ever turned up down there in Mesoamerica. However, the bad news is, even if these are valid and real, they don't persuade me. And I know that's going to drive you crazy. I apologize in advance. I will drink to friendship anyway. But I don't find that all that persuasive for the Book of Mormon at all. Let me explain why. At this point, I wouldn't care if you had 500 different types of Hebrew inscriptions found in ancient America, North America, in Ohio or Florida or in the Hopi Reservation there in New Mexico and Arizona and California and Nevada. I wouldn't care if you found inscriptions up in Michigan, in Tennessee, Kentucky, North or South Carolina, or Maryland or Maine. I wouldn't care. It doesn't do anything for the Book of Mormon. And you say, now you're just being obnoxious because the Book of Mormon says we would have written in Hebrew. Who cares? It doesn't matter. None of the Hebrew inscriptions that I've seen on a lot of Rod Meldrum's videos now and in your video, none of them specifically points to any single event or person specifically in the Book of Mormon. That's what you're missing. Uh, an over all generalized language parallel doesn't mean spit. It might, but it's so minuscule that it doesn't mean spit. And, and if you come and say, well, you're being too skeptical, no, because I was too believing as a believer, as an apologist. And that burned me. So fool me once, shame on you. Fool me twice, shame on me. And it ain't going to happen twice. You must have the real deal. The reason everyone in this world knows that the Dead Sea Scrolls are genuinely, authentically ancient Jewish is because we have the evidence. It has been looked at by numerous people. Now, before you say that's not a, a good comparison, 
just realized Solomon Zeitlin, one of the great, one of the great Jewish scholars, claimed they were a forgery. He even one time said, no, they're just a plant. And he did everything he could to demonstrate that they were not ancient and authentic. So not everyone just simply believed, right? But my point is, it is that caliber of evidence we would need, not what Rod Meldrum and you are doing with the heartland theory for the reason, the same reason, actually, of my skepticism of John Sorensen, John Clark, and Daniel Peterson touting their works of the parallels that they claim to find down in Mesoamerica. Well, this is the only place where people were literate. Who cares? That can't possibly validate the Book of Mormon at all. That is so generalized as to be useless. How many different dozens, if not hundreds, of Indian languages are down there, Native American languages. I'm not trying to appear racist, you know. These days you have to be politically correct or they massacre you. None of those languages connect at all with anything in the Book of Mormon. Vague parallels is not what's being asked for. We are asking for direct parallels to the point to where the evidence is overwhelming. This is Zarahemla. Not because a Mormon says so, but because the archaeology says so. I hope you can see the difference there. Sincerely, I'm not trying to be obdurate. I am not trying to insult you or anyone else. I'm saying we need validity. And for that to take place, the bar must be solidly high. It's not what you have yet. Let's go another one. Chief Joseph. Uh, this was fun. I believe probably other than the Seminole, probably the last Native American chiefs to succumb to the U.S. government and surrender. I believe he was taken hostage. Uh, it was either Wyoming or Montana Territory. Almost got to the Canadian line to cross over. Somewhere in that area, they put him back to a fort. They, they, they bottled him up, and they decided to put him on a reservation. Well, during all this hubbub return, he, like most chiefs, wore a medicine bag around his neck. It was very, very normal. Nothing real big, but it was around his neck, this little leather pouch. One of the soldiers took that away from him. And inside the bag, there's a lot of stuff, but the one thing that was really unusual, a little one-inch by one-inch clay square, and it had lettering on it. And the lettering happened to be cuneiform. Now, cuneiform was in full usage around 3000 B.C. in the Fertile Crescent. Hittites use it, the Babylonians use it, the Akkadians use it, the Sumerians used it, and the Hebrews knew how to use it because that was the language of the day if you want to do business. So the first question is, what is an Indian in North America doing with a little square cuneiform tablet in his medicine pouch? Well, asking him what this was, and he repeated, this is something from my ancient ancestors. 
and that's why I hold it dear. And they asked him, do you, can you read it? And he said, no. So you don't know what it says? He said, no, I don't know what it says. That Canadian foreign tablet is at West Point today. You can go there and see it. Now, I've been there twice. First time it was on display. The second time it had been removed. And if you ask for it, and if the curator of the day is in a good mood, <laughs> he'll let you see it. Uh, sometimes, you know, that happens. They say, I'm too busy. And they won't pull it out. But they do have it. So it still exists, thank goodness. Now, what's interesting, it was translated. And I don't have the actual translation here to read to you, but it was a bill of sale or like a receipt for sheep or goats or both. And it took place around 2040 B.C. Uh, and they mentioned Ur. It mentions the Babylonians. I mean, this is wild. And then in 1963, Mrs. Hearn, She's near Columbus, Georgia. I don't remember the exact town she was in. Old lady out doing her garden. And lo and behold, up turns a little square cuneiform tablet. Well, it got passed along to the proper authorities, and it too is a receipt for sheep or goats. And it dates at 2042 BC cuneiform. All this has been the transcribing and the interpretation, all done by professional academics. Uh, in in uh, the universities. So how do you explain that? I, I don't know what to say, but there it is. It's here in North America, and it's not supposed to be here, but yet it's here. Now, doggone it, that's fun stuff. But does it have anything to do at all with the Book of Mormon? No, of course not. You can't possibly... Imagine whatever kind of connection you can try is going to convince any of us that that verifies Lehi, or that verifies Alma the Younger, or that verifies Jesus Christ coming to the Americas. Now, while it is a fantastically interesting situation, and we actually may be able to go look at that ourselves if the curators will let us see it at West Point, and it did come from Chief Joseph, why are you even bringing stuff like that up? Because you're trying to establish the impression I'm getting here is that the Heartlanders are trying to establish a generalized overview that is similar to the theme in the Book of Mormon. And if you can establish that, then you can continue having faith in it. Well, that means someday something with more detail will show up. But cuneiform from 2040 BC is irrelevant to the Book of Mormon. Well, that means people came over. Okay. Well, then that's a Book of Mormon theme. You see, there's nothing specific there. And so, I'm not trying to be complicated. That just has precious little weight for conviction, for belief. That's how I view it. And the reason why is because the bar has to be set high because we are all aware there are so many 
fakers through history. And we know there are so many forgeries and problems and issues. And yes, we also know that history is far more muddy, complex, and difficult than what some of us want it to be. Some of us, including you Mormons, who want physical evidence, even though y'all tout, well, the strongest witness for the Book of Mormon, of course, is the Holy Ghost. You always add that silly tissue of absurdity into it, and then you jump right into the physical evidence. You don't give a damn about the Holy Ghost. You're just typically human. You care about the real stuff. You have to. That's how humans are made. But you gotta have it. And that's what you lack. Here's another thing that I wanted to share with you of the part of the, yeah, this was, this was fun. Okay, now this is yet again one other issue that at least the Heartlanders have above the Mesoamerican model. And I thought this was interesting. But again, Notice the situation truly. Joseph Smith traveled with a group of saints on a tour known as Zion's Camp. This camp marched from Kirtland, Ohio to western Missouri. In one stop along the banks of the Illinois River, Joseph recounted in a letter to his wife Emma the experience he had on top of this particular land. The whole of our journey in the midst of so large a company of social, honest, and sincere men, wandering over the plains of the Nephites, recounting occasionally the history of the Book of Mormon, moving over the mounds of that once beloved people of the Lord, picking up their skulls and their bones as a proof of its divine authenticity, and gazing upon a country, the fertility, the splendor, and the goodness so indescribable all serves to pass away time unnoticed. Joseph and, and the brethren during the uh, Zion's Camp March, they had now they left uh, Kirtland, walked across Ohio, all of Indiana and about two-thirds of Illinois, hit the banks of the Illinois River, and they stayed there for maybe two days, maybe three, we're not sure. Well, while they were there, somebody found the large mound that we call Zelf's Mound that Joseph identified. But they saw some things that caused them to want to dig, which they did. They found a skeleton of a man, they pretty much entire. And while they were standing there, Joseph, he says, by the spirit of the Almighty, and then he begins to tell who this person is. They found Zelf, as the prophet was told his name was, with an arrowhead um, lodged in his bones. And the prophet could tell us exactly who he was, where he was from, what he did in his life, and where he had been. Joseph said by the Spirit of the Almighty, he identifies this man as Zelf, that he was a servant under the prophet Onondagus, who ruled from the hill Camorra, or Eastern Sea, all the way to the Rocky Mountains. What is nice about the Illinois archaeologists, they come along in the 1970s and the 80s, they uh, cut a trench through the mound, they date this thing originally about 250 plus or minus 100 years, and then uh, a second group comes in from Dixon Mound, the archaeologists, and they date it at 380 AD. And Joseph's self mom says, This is during one of the last great struggles of the Quran. 
Book of Mormon is over at 385. And our non-eldest academics have dated it now at 380 AD. How did Joseph know this was a whole problem? How could he put it in the time frame of the Book of Mormon? Because he was inspired. And sad to say, but the church in general doesn't even know this story. So that's another cool little coincidence that you have over the Mesoamerican model. You actually have the prophet himself saying he was wandering in the lands of the Nephites, and he identified a white Lamanite, <laughs> Zelf. Of course, Zelf nor Onondagas are mentioned in the Book of Mormon, but, uh, yeah, you know, it's kind of a fun little extra that Joseph Smith gave the brethren to keep their faith built up strong. And you tell me, well, you're being too skeptical. The Holy Ghost can't reach you. And I say then the Holy Ghost is too big of a wuss. He needs to pull his pants on and get a little bit tougher about giving us validity spiritually instead of being so goddamn sensitive that even if you fart, it drives him away for 18 years. Even that story doesn't move me anymore. That kind of psychology thinking. Be humble, submit, obey us. Be obedient and you'll be blessed. Bunk, give me some something to sink my teeth into first. Right? I will believe it when I see it is what the issue is. And that's where... You with the Mesoamerican models, you got a couple of items here and there. They have a couple of general parallels here and there. But what you're both lacking is actual reality that the rest of the world can also agree on. We know about the ancient Mycenaean Greeks. We know a little bit about the ancient Eleusinian mysteries. We know they were held for over a thousand years. We have lots of corroborative evidence. It wouldn't matter if you were a Catholic, if you were a Mormon, if you were a Jewish person, if you were an atheist, if you were an Australian religious person. It wouldn't matter if you were a shaman from Siberia. It wouldn't matter if you were a Taoist from China. Everyone knows who the Greeks are and some of their cultural experiences. That's because we've got the evidence for it. That is what Mormons lack with the Book of Mormon. I, I'm just letting you know. That's where the bar is. You don't get to lower the bar and then pretend everyone else is biased for not believing your faith and testimony and evidence and interpretation. You have to meet the bar of reality, not lower it to your expectations in order to maintain your faith. That's why the rest of us just don't follow along with you. We can't. It's against our morals. So. Now, the other issue here is this, and this is very important to me because my dear friend Paul Osborne is the one that's been showing us this. Now, these are just pictures. 
This is the Delmarva Peninsula on the east coast of the United States. That's the Chesapeake Bay. This is where Paul Osborne says the Book of Mormon geography occurs. Now, apparently there's another author who has also put together this theory, and Osborne has acknowledged him, and he's mentioned him. But this is where the land of Nephi is to the bottom of that picture. And Zarahemla is way up to the top. According to, there there we go, there's a great picture of it. Zarahemla up north, Nephi down south. And what he's doing is he's gone through and he's shown how various different types of the Book of Mormon scripture can be verified with this particular kind of geography. But this geography is nothing like your geography. And yet he's got all kinds of actual evidence of correlations based on the internal Book of Mormon information on what lands and cities were where in relation to the Chesapeake Bay Delmarva Peninsula. And he's got as much detail as anybody else I have ever seen. There's the bottom part of the Delmarva Peninsula there. It was such a big picture, I had to split it in two. But you can see he's finding all types of correlations, connections with cities, distances, seas east, seas west, rivers, Sidon, etc., hills and mountains. He's got it all too. But this geography is completely different than yours. He even has found evidence of the narrow neck of land on the peninsula where it takes only a day's journey or a day and a half to cross it. He's showing the internal consistency of what the Book of Mormon says in relation to this Del Marva geography. And it's actually incredibly interesting to see how he connects it all. And then I keep looking, and what do I find? This is Neville's North American map. And not only is it different from the Del Marva, but it's also a little bit different than yours. In other words, it's up to the creativity of the individual author in trying to discover all the connections between the Book of Mormon topography and geography with whatever is in the United States. And it's not because the fit makes it real. It's because the creativity of the author is either better or less than some other author who finds more parallels than the others. And finally, we have discovered who the last of the Lamanites are. And this is one of the most shocking discoveries of all. Come on, you got to have a little fun. This particular Lamanite, this white Lamanite, is not Zelf. It's Peterson's Elf. <laughs> oh. 
and he had just hopped off his tape here to pose for that picture in ancient times. So anyway, my whole, my whole theme, because number one, it's hard enough to come up with a complete understanding of what is doctrine in Mormonism, because it keeps changing. It really does, genuinely so. So does the geography of the Book of Mormon. But you know what one of the most problematic situations with all of this is? Literally, truly, is the church remains neutral. Here it is, a church supposed to be guided by God. Joseph Smith asked the most ridiculous, idiotic questions, and Jesus immediately answered him, and several sections of the Doctrine and Covenants are published as those answers. Orson Pratt comes along, well, Joe, where do you want me to go on a mission? Oh, hang on, let me ask Jesus. Jesus, where do you want Orson to go? Oh, Orson, the field is white, all ready to harvest, and he who thrusts his sickle in with his might shall reap a great reward. Uh, why don't you bump over here and go there? Revelation about the most trivial silliness all over the flipping place, as well as the most intense, serious, spiritual stuff, and yet it's supposed to be the truest book, and yet the Lord remains silent when the prophets have asked, what about the geography? And so he lets us all flounder about, and you guys propose all kinds of fun, interesting, weird interpretations and stuff. Um, that just doesn't impress me, right? And so I'm going to withhold my belief until and unless the evidence gets really, really good. And I mean by that, really, really good is, I have my handkerchief. My prediction is this handkerchief is going to fall down toward my feet. I have evidence through a lifetime of experience that that's what happens when I drop items. And so someone who comes along and says, well, no, actually it's going to go left six inches first because that's the Lord's hand directing it, or it's going to go up, or it's going to go sideways, or it's going to go back away from you straight out horizontally or whatever. But I can't show it to you because if you're skeptical, it won't work. So you have to have faith. That's where my bullshit meter pegs. That's the kind of evidence you're going to need just as sure as we know what we're talking about when we have the Dead Sea Scrolls and everyone around the world is aware of what we're talking about and agrees, oh, yes, those scrolls, yeah, okay. Now, the interpretation of their meaning, of course, is going to be different, but we do know chronologically where those scrolls fit into the scheme, and we know they are very real and we know the ancient Jews were where the scrolls say they were, etc. That's what we need. So, anyway, 
send me the book. If you can, I'll send you an email and give you my address. All right, you guys, uh, I've been a minute or a minute, an hour and 10, and, uh, I'm gonna, I hope I, I hope you guys have had fun. Uh, are you talking about my hair again? Oh, you can lead a taper in water, but you can't make a drink. <laughs> there you go. Absolutely. Yeah, uh, I agree with Dan Vogel. Geography should be established by the Book of Mormon, Joseph Smith, and early Mormons, and the Mound Builder myth. It was all hemispheric because all Indians came from Israel. That's the theory. Yeah. It's all Indians came from Israel. When the DNA evidence shows, absolutely none of them did. Now, it's interesting. I saw a claim in one of the Heartland videos, you guys, where the DNA of Haplock, Haplop, the Haplock's group X uh, is in the Middle East, and it's only up there in the Hopewell culture in the United States. I have yet to check that out. That might make a fun follow-up video. Uh, I'm extremely skeptical of that, but uh, I'll have to check into it. So, uh, yeah, it, Debbie Joe, good to see you. I'm gonna, I'm gonna, Elisa, uh, haploid. Yeah, I meant haploid. Yeah, that's. Hey, Mike Langley. Yeah, welcome. Glad you're here. Uh, I'm going to say hi to you for just a couple of minutes, and then I'm going to head out. I've got a big day tomorrow. And uh, so what did Paul Osborne say? It was so funny. I'm into the early Joe. Yeah, not the later Joe. There you go. Oh, T.O., welcome. Good to see you again. Uh, I'm looking forward to having conversations with you as well. Absolutely. Looks like you guys have had some good, good comments, good stuff. Rodney James McGuire, welcome. Oh, thank you for the anonymous donation, whoever you were. That's very kind. Uh, Dirt Dart, yeah, 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 good to see you. So, okay, you guys, um, it's Sunday night. I've still got to go to church. Yes, I'm kidding. <laughs> I do have to go enjoy my forest that I have created in my backyard, however. And I do have to do some, some reading and get ready for tomorrow's work. So uh, I'm going to call it a day. I'm going to call it a little bit early tonight. And I will be back next week with more information on Book of Mormon and archaeology and perhaps some linguistics or perhaps some history. I would like to do some analyzing of the Book of Mormon. I would like to eventually uh, analyze how some of the general authorities in our day interpret some parts of the Book of Mormon and see if that makes any sense. That could be quite fun. So anyway, I'm, uh, I'm going to, uh oh, oh, crud. Cancel. Am I still here? Okay, good. Well, I thought I had a... Oh, another anonymous donation. Thank you, you guys. That's very kind of you. Oh, thank you, Patty Cake. I enjoy doing this. Yep. I will do so, fine business operator. Absolutely, I'm going to. Yeah, no kidding. Hey, Goatface, thanks for coming on. 
I'd like to hear more about Hebrew evidences in the Americas. So would I, actually. Have you talked about the new photo of Joseph Smith? Not yet. Uh, I just showed it at the very first. Uh, you bet. Thank you, Debbie Joe. Good to see you here, too. I love all you guys. I appreciate all of you. So uh, don't forget Mormonism Live on Wednesday night. Uh, don't forget to keep checking Dan Vogel's videos. Uh, he is also doing Book of Mormon materials. And so keep your eye peeled on him. And I will be back next week, Sunday, 6 o'clock sharp, if not earlier, and uh, give you some more information on the Book of Mormon. In the meantime, remember, have fun and be good <laughs> and do well. Yeah, baby. And be happy and safe. And I'll see you next week on the Backyard Professor Sunday Night Fireside. In the meantime, I am going to go dream well, and I'm not kidding. I like to. <laughs>